Well, welcome everybody to Highland Baptist Church, November 13, Sunday night. We want to uh, sing our first song tonight, and uh, we'll get started with the services. Brother Jim will be uh, Brother Jim will be leading via video that he's produced for us, but. Uh, we're going to be singing 138, hymn 138 at Calvary. And y'all can stay seated, even at home. Ms. Pat? <laughs> sermon let's open in a word of prayer Dear Heavenly Father we praise your name we are thankful for your power and your glory and for your love for each of us Lord we've had a wonderful day and I pray that you continue to bless us with your word that brother Jim has prepared and Lord just touch our hearts Lord, be with those that are not in attendance be with those that are sick and several in our church that are uh, recovering, recouping, or even looking at, at surgeries. Lord, we pray that your watchful eye and your healing hand be upon each. Lord, thank you for your love and again for your son. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Pat. Uh, good to be with you tonight via uh, video, uh, kind of like back when we were in the midst of COVID and everything. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through verse 9. Uh, we're going to be looking at the issue of repentance tonight as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. So Luke chapter 13, verse 1 down through verse 5 is what we're going to look at first. So would you stand as we read God's word in honor of his word. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans who were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word tonight and ask Heavenly Father that you will just speak into our hearts that if we're here and we don't know Christ as our Lord and our Savior, may today be the day of salvation for us. And Lord, if we are saved, I pray that you will use this passage, Lord, to encourage us, to stir us, to move us to a more faithful walk with you uh, in, in seeking to make sure we're repenting of any sin that may be in our hearts and our lives. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. You know, as we look at uh, this passage here in Luke chapter 13 and verse 5 and in verse 3 also, there, especially this first part that begins in verse 1, uh, there were some who were present at that time who came and told Jesus uh, about those Galileans who had been murdered, whose, whose Pilate took their blood and mingled it with the sacrifices. And if we put that verse into context for where we are today, uh, we would come to Jesus and say, did you hear about the 150,000 people that died in Korea a couple of weeks ago? And Jesus would look into our eyes like nobody's ever looked in our eyes before, and he would say, do you think that this happened to those people because they were worse sinners than all the rest of the Koreans? Or do you think that they were worse sinners than everybody else who escapes death every day? I tell you, no, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. I mean, think about that. You ever had an encounter like that with somebody like that? Uh, you come to them with a concern, with a puzzling theological question. They look you right in the eye and they say, the urgent issue, the most urgent issue, is your own soul. And if you don't get right with God, you're going to perish. No one ever spoke like Jesus. I mean, he was always dead serious, earnest about a person's commitment. When, when we, whenever he was presented with a problem, uh, he, he would uh, deal with a, with a person. Uh, his speech uh, was salted with fire. And, you know, nobody uh, slept through a conversation with Jesus. And so when we look at these verses, the thing that's at stake for us here are four, verse, four words that we want to see in two verses here. Uh, these five verses are filled with awesome implications about the way the world really is, and it's not uh, the way people think it is. Uh, the main aim tonight is to impress upon our conscience that people all around us are perishing. Uh, and if we're going to be the kind of witness that, for Christ that we ought to be, uh, that we need to know then and feel what is really, truly at stake. 
And so uh, and what's at stake is that unrepentant people are perishing. And, and so to unfold this text, I simply want to take these two verses, verse 3 and verse 5, which are uh, identical there, uh, and, and look at four words in this key uh, sentences here in verse 3 and verse 5. The sentence is, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so the four words I want us to focus on in this message tonight are the words all, likewise, perish, and repent. Here's the first word, all, all. So in verse 3 and verse 5, uh, we find there's this group of people, as we said, who came to Jesus. They tell him about how Pilate had murdered some worshiping Gentiles, some Galileans, and had taken their blood and mixed it with the blood of their sacrifices, their sheep, their pigeons, their doves. Now, this might sound disgusting, but it would be akin to us today if, if anarchists or terrorists uh, were to break into our church service during a Lord's Supper and cut the necks of a few worshipers and pour their blood into the communion cups. I know that sounds horrible, but that's the picture of what had happened here. It was a horrible thing that Pilate did. Uh, the people don't say it, but notice Jesus hears it in their voices. Uh, they didn't say these specific words, but he could tell by what they were thinking, what he knew, uh, that the, they thought these dead Galileans, they must have done something so horrible for God to allow something so horrible to happen to them. In other words, extraordinary tragedy must signify extraordinary guilt. So think about that for a moment. Uh, what would you have answered? at this point how does your theology of suffering and sin uh, what does it call for in the face of this kind of tragedy what Jesus said was this he said he, he basically said no their sin wasn't extraordinary horrible it was ordinarily horrible just like your sin is and if you don't repent you too are going to experience a horrible end all of you in other words, instead of saying that they're no more sinful than we are and being amazed at their death, he says that we're just as sinful as they are and we ought to get ready to die just like they did. Now, what Jesus teaches then is that all of us are extremely sinful. We're so sinful that tragedies and disasters shouldn't shock us as though something unwarranted were coming upon innocent human beings. Uh, there are no innocent human beings. In fact, what we find in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, and as it is written, none is righteous or none is good, no, not one. And so what ought to be, uh, what ought to amaze us in our sin isn't that some are taken in a tragedy, but that we're spared and given another day to repent. That's what ought to amaze us, that we were spared and given another day to repent. The really amazing thing in this universe isn't that guilty sinners perish, but that God is slow to anger that we could sit here tonight and have one more chance to repent. All. Then notice the second word, likewise. 
Now, when you read this verse again, notice what it says. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, when you read that in verse 3, he had been talking about what happened uh, with the, with the, the, Gal the Galileans that, that Pilate had killed and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. And so, does this mean that all unrepentant people are going to be killed in the same kind of act of worship? Uh, that they're going to be killed and their blood's going to be mingled with the sacrifices. He says, all will likewise perish. So what does it mean? No, it can't mean that, because when you get over to verse 5, he's talking about another incident there. He's talking about a tower that fell on some people uh, at Siloam, and, and he says uh, that we will all likewise perish by those who, will who were killed by this falling tower. And so, in other words, we can't all die uh, like those Galileans who were murdered and also die like those whom the Tower of Siloam fell on. So likewise has to mean something else. It can't mean just to die since that's going to happen uh, to anybody who repents. Uh, everybody dies until Jesus comes again. But what Jesus says implies that if we repent, we won't perish. So what does Jesus mean when he says that all unrepentant people will likewise perish. I think he meant something like this, that you see what a horrible end those people came to. They didn't think it was ever going to happen to them. Isn't that the thing we think of today? Oh, it's never going to happen to me. Uh, or, or that they knew that they were going to die someday, but they didn't know what that would mean. The horror of their end took them by surprise. So unless you repent, Jesus is saying, that's the way it's going to be for you. Your end is going to be far more horrible than you think it is. Uh, you won't be ready for it. It will surprise you terribly. And in that sense, you will likewise perish. And so the parable between the parallel between us and between them is that there was something dreadful uh, about the way they ended, and there's going to be something dreadful about the way our life is going to end. They're, they weren't expecting that kind of end, and you won't be expecting it either. Only repentance can make you ready to meet God. And, and so that leads us to our third word, the word perish. And so all likewise perish. So what does perish mean in verse 3 and in verse 5? Sometimes the word simply means to die in the sense that we all die physically. Uh, but that wouldn't fit here because Jesus implies that if we repent, we won't perish. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So if you do repent, you won't perish. So perish is something that's more than simply die a physical death. Here's what I think it means, because since Jesus connects it directly to sin, and since he says that it cannot be escaped by repentance, I take it to mean final judgment. He's referring to something beyond death. In other words, those Galileans, they were taken unaware and experienced a horrible end. And unless you repent, you too are going to be taken unaware and experience a horrible end, the judgment of God beyond the grave. Now, the word perish in the New Testament, the word perish often refers to the terrible judgment in the New Testament. For example, John chapter 3 and verse 16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so perishing is the alternative to having eternal life. The same thing turns up in John chapter 10. In verse 28, John says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And, and so perishing is what happens to you if you don't have eternal life. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So perishing is the opposite of being saved by the cross of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 18, Paul says it this way, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then, and, and then he says, uh, then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So in other words, perishing is something that happens beyond the grave. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 uh, says this, and just as is it appointed once for, or for man to die once, after that comes the judgment. Uh, even Jesus himself describes this judgment. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, all throughout it, uh, he talks about it. But in Matthew 25, 46, uh, he's giving the illustration there uh, of, of the separation of the sheep from the goats. And here's what he says in verse 46. And he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You know, perishing is the eternal punishment that people fall into when they die if they have not repented. And that's how serious sin is. And the Bible, as we've already read, says all of us have sinned, and we sin every day. So unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And now, for us as believers, there's an urgent lesson to learn from this passage because we need to be careful not to treat this as just something unimportant. Let me encourage you this. Write it on a card. Put it somewhere prominent. All those people out there that you know in your circles of influence, they are going to perish if they don't repent. I mean, think about that. That clerk at the store, she's going to perish if she doesn't repent. Your children are going to perish. Your parents are going to perish. Your neighbors are going to perish. Your colleagues are going to perish if they don't repent. Now, this isn't some irrelevant church talk. This is a thousand times more urgent and more important than any warning that we might hear of some virus or some disease in this world. All you can lose when you get cancer or you get COVID or you get the flu is your earthly life. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 and verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Now, we've already looked at those verses before when we looked at earlier at Luke chapter 12. But the point is this, is that sin is an infinitely more dangerous disease than COVID or cancer could ever be. 
And if the world, think about this, if the world is willing to spend millions and millions of dollars to wake this country up to the dangers of COVID and cancer and all kinds of other diseases, how much more should we, who know the cure to sin, to sin spend whatever it costs to wake the world to the dangers of sin? C.S. Lewis, the brilliant English scholar and Christian writer, he died the same day President John F. Kennedy did. And this November the 22nd, will be the 59th anniversary of his death. Even today, his books uh, on the Christian faith are being reprinted by the thousands. And one of the reasons I think God so greatly blessed the ministry of C.S. Lewis and, and, and still blesses it is that Lewis never had, a, had an elitist, artsy love for the fine literature or fine music or fine culture in any form, though he himself was a great artist. In, in his life, everything, everything in his life was subordinate to the salvation of lost sinners. And so C.S. Lewis, he said this about how God could use us to wake up the perishing before our eyes as we do our work and pray. He said, it is hardly possible for us to think too often or too deeply about the glory of our neighbor. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as, now, such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, he said, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of those destinations, either to heaven or to hell. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all pray, play, and all talk, politics. There are no ordinary people, he said. You, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, artists, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors in heaven. That's in his book, The Weight of Glory. So the question is, what are we doing to try to convert the great masses of people around us, the salespeople, the lawyers, the realtors, the morticians, the policemen, the firemen, the doctors, the nurses, all those people that surround us every day. I hope that's your burden, whatever your profession, because unless they repent, they will perish. Here's the fourth point, the fourth word. All likewise perish, repent. And so Luke gives us three illustrations here of repentance uh, in his gospel in the face of judgment. One is in Luke chapter 10 and verse chapter 10 and verse uh, 13 that says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable in the, in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Another example he gives, Luke chapter 11, verse 32. He says, the men of Nineveh, 
will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, you remember when Jonah preached all those people in Nineveh and, and all those people uh, believed and they repented of their sin? The Bible says here that one day the men of Nineveh are going to rise up and stand as a witness against us because at least they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now there's someone greater, there's Jesus, and many people still won't repent. In fact, in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, here's where he lays that out. Jonah 3 verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles. He said, let neither, uh, let them, he, he says in verse uh, 9, uh, let them call our, out, out mighty to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Uh, verse 9 goes on to say, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That's the realization that they came to after hearing the preaching of Jonah. And yet many who hear about Jesus who died on the cross to save them from their sin, they still won't repent. I mean, think about the, the, the story that Jesus tells us over in Luke's gospel uh, of the rich man uh, who died and went to hell and the, and the poor beggar man who went to the bosom of Abraham and, and he's wanting uh, Abraham to send someone back to warn his brothers so they don't perish in this place of torment. And, and notice what verse 29 says in Luke 16. It says, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said... No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But then notice Jesus answers back and says, in verse 31, he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He's talking about himself, who one day he's going to be raised from the dead. And he said, even if I'm raised from the dead, there are still going to be people who aren't going to believe still people who aren't going to repent. You see, repentance involves believing. It, be, it, it involves being persuaded about the danger uh, of impenitence and the way of escape through repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Uh, you know, it, but it's more than just being sorry for our sin. It's more than just being caught in our sin. Here's the last point that I want you to see from these verses. It comes down in verse 6 through verse 9, where Jesus tells us a parable here. I want you to see the fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. So Jesus goes on to tell this parable in verse 6, and he says this. He says, he told, the parable, told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then verse 9, Then if it should bear fruit, next year well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I mean, think about what he's saying here. What does this parable have to do with what Jesus just said about repentance? Well, what we see is that a truly repentant person will bear the fruit 
of repentance. And remember, how long has this guy who planted this, this fig tree been coming? Three years he's been coming, looking for fruit, and he hasn't found it. I wonder if we were to have an introspect to see from God's side, how many years has he been inspecting your life, looking for some fruit, and there's been no fruit? And he says, we just need to cut it down. We just need to be done with this one. The vine dresser says, Give, give me another year. He said, let me dig around it. Let me put some fertilize on it. Let me care for it some more. And if it doesn't produce anything next year, it's done. It's over. Could you imagine that about our own lives? I mean, understand this. Real repentance not only clears a person's head, it cleanses a person's heart, and it connects with a person's will. It gets into our feet, and it gets into our hands, and it ought to affect the way we live. Repentance is just not knowing. It's not just knowing about your sin. It's not just weeping over your sin. It's not even just being determined to do something about your sin. It means you turn your back on sin and you turn your face toward God. I mean, think about what happened here. Uh, there, there was a crowd of, of Pharisees and Sadducees who came to John the Baptist. They asked John the Baptist to baptize them, and John refused. You know what John said to them? He said this in Matthew chapter 3 and, and verse 8. He said, Bear fruits in keeping with or worthy of repentance. You see, that's the real test. The real test is the fruit. That's the test of life. Think about it. If you have an apple tree in your yard and you watch that apple tree for a year and that apple tree doesn't bear fruit, I've got news for you. That apple tree is probably dead. I have a lemon tree at, at home and I'm always watching, is that thing going to produce fruit? Is there something else I need to do to it to keep it producing fruit? That's the way our lives ought to be. Listen to these words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19 and verse 20. He said, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Why? Because understand this. He's not talking here about a saved person who's not bearing fruit and they're cast into the hell fire. He's talking about a person who never knew Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. The fruit gave it away. The fruit showed they didn't know Jesus because this is what he goes on to say. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So when we talk about repentance, we're talking about total repentance, not partial repentance. There are a lot of people who come down an aisle of a church and, and make some type of decision for Christ, but it many times is only a half-hearted repentance. They're willing to give up some things, but they're not willing to give up all things, to give up everything. I, I want to tell you something. A half-hearted repentance is nothing more than a wholehearted rebellion. And so I, I want to get honest here. And, and, and you need to be honest. Be honest with God and be honest with your own heart. Has there been a time in your life that you, you actually changed your mind, your heart, your will? Has there been a real change of direction in your life? Because understand this, that repentance alone will not save you. But without repentance, you cannot be saved. Most of us have flown on an airplane at some time or another. 
when an airplane touches down on landing, you know that huge machine is moving so fast that the only way that that pilot can slow it down and bring it to a safe landing is to quite literally reverse the engines. There, there's nothing quite like that roar that you hear when those jet engines are reversed. Went on a trip to Calgary, uh, Alberta, Canada this summer, and I had my phone at the window and was recording the propellers uh, on the plane. And it was just amazing because with the naked eye, you can't even see the, the individual propellers. But because I was filming at about 60 frames per second uh, with my phone, uh, you could see individual propellers almost like it was in slow motion. And, and when they came in to land, it was just amazing. I was like, what? The, the, the propellers automatically started reversing because uh, they had begun to... to put everything into reverse there. You know, you can immediately feel the effects of that on your body as that plane is literally being taken in effect in a different direction so it can slow down and stop. Anytime you've got something with that much weight behind it, moving with that much speed, it takes a very powerful force to stop it. If the pilot failed to reverse the engines, that plane would go off the runway and it would crash. Here's what I want to tell you tonight. We are all born moving as fast as we can down a road that leads to hell. And we're moving in such a, with such a force that if we don't put the engines of our life in reverse and quite literally begin to head in a different direction, you're going to run off the runway of life into certain death. Understand that if you don't repent when the Bible now, the Bible says that you will certainly perish. Repent and be saved in the name of Jesus. That's my prayer for you tonight as, a, as an unbeliever, someone who's never trusted by faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would trust in him tonight. But if you're here tonight and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's what I want you to think about. How much time do you have left? How much time... Have you wasted how many times ha has ha has the owner of the vineyard come around looking at your life year after year year after year and there's no fruit there's no one that you've shared with no one that you've led to faith I understand this we don't save anybody the Holy Spirit does that work but our responsibility is to be faithful to share the gospel and by doing so the more you share the gospel the more you share your faith in Christ eventually some fruit is going to be produced in your life so is there fruit in your life if the master the owner of the vineyard were to come today would he find that you've been faithful if not then you're at the same place that the lost person is you need to come to the place of repentance to say God I have I have sinned against you. I have not done what you commanded me to do. Lord, I want to make a change today. I want to begin today afresh and anew that every day for the rest of my life, in some way, some shape, some fashion, some form, I want to share Jesus with others so that they too can repent and thereby produce fruit, giving the evidence of my faith in Christ. Remember that. Repentance is turning your back on your sin and turning your face towards God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. 
And I just pray your blessings on your word. Lord, if there are those who are lost who need Christ as their Lord and Savior, may they call out tonight and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I pray if there's someone who prayed something like that in their heart and in their life tonight, Lord, I pray that they would come by faith to publicly profess that faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. But Lord, there may be others who are here tonight who are believers. They've trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, but somewhere along the way, Lord, they've lost their focus and they've become complacent and unconcerned about the people in their circles of influence who need to hear the good news of the gospel. That if they don't repent, they will all likewise perish. Father, may that blood not be on our hands. But Lord, may we faithfully share with others as you give us opportunity. And we just pray, God, for your will to be done in our hearts and our lives. Help us, Lord, to come to that place of repentance, turning our backs on our sin and turning our face toward God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you will, to take your uh, hymnals and turn to uh, the, the hymn of invitation, uh, Jesus is Tenderly Calling Thee Home, number 316. Uh, and as the Lord lays on your heart in this invitation, would you come, Brother Mike, you'll come and, and lead us in our singing of our hymn. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will thou roam farther and farther away? Calling today, calling today. Jesus is calling his Jesus is calling the weary to rest, calling today, calling today. Bring him thy burdens and thou will be blessed. He will not turn thee away. Calling today, calling Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for your blessings, for the opportunity to gather in your house. Lord, now as we leave this place, may we take with you what we've, take with us what we've learned and what uh, Brother Jim has shared. Lord, thank you for the opportunities to share with others. May we look for those opportunities and may we not be bashful and, and Lord, do what you've commanded us to do and that's tell them about you. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for Brother Jim and his family and for the traveling mercies that you're giving them. Lord, I pray that you just forgive us where we fall short. It's in Christ's name. Amen.